Hello, everybody. It is me, Taylor White, talking. Just before the podcast starts, I would love to remind everybody that uh, I will be doing a live podcast at the show on Thursday, March 16th from 2.15 to 3.15 in the Community Zone. And if you're asking yourself who is going to be this amazing guest, it is Dana Wusthoff, who is actually the show director for Con Expo Con Egg. And she will be sitting down and having a conversation about what it takes to put on a show like Con Expo. And uh, to be totally honest with you guys, I reached out. I'm like, I want to talk to somebody that has, you know, such a big hand in making everything happen. And that is what's going to be going on. And I cannot wait to sit down with Dana and talk about everything Con Expo, talk about previous and even maybe tease something about the future. Obviously, that will be posted on YouTube and everything later on. But stop by the Community Zone March 16th from 2.15 to 3.15. I will be there. Dana will be there. Live show. Now let's get into this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Con Expo Con Egg podcast brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. I am here today with the man, Matt Stanley, who is a paving foreman and marketing for American pavement specialists, founder and creator of Raised on Blacktop, which I have seen all over the internet. So I'm very fortunate to sit down uh, with Matt today. I'll call you Matt rather than Matthew. Is that all right? Yeah, Matt works, whatever. Thank you for having me, Taylor. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem. And by the time that this podcast actually comes out, I think this is coming out after the show. If it hasn't, then this is just a, you know, ad for what we're doing. But we actually have, we're on an influencer panel together talking about marketing and branding and all that stuff, which you have a strong grip on, which is what I'm really excited to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Likewise. Could you give me a little bit of a background, I guess, for the people at home to understand kind of like who you are and what you do and like, you know, maybe start there. But then also, I think when I first saw you is understanding like what's American Pavement Specialist and then what's raised on blacktop. To give you my backstory, I kind of got to explain the family dynamic a little bit. So uh, my family's been in the paving business for three generations now. Uh, my grandfather opened up a paving business in 1957, started with basically nothing, built his business up. My dad worked for his father up until he was probably about 30 years old and uh, made that tough decision to break off and start his own company. So that's what we know as American Pavement. So my mother and father started that in 1992, which oddly enough is the year I'm born, but I'm the youngest of four boys. So my old, oldest brother now, he owns a residential company called Elite 3 Asphalt. He's in our area. And then me, my brother, Josh, who's 33, and my brother, Jack, who's 36, we all work for America Payment still. So it's us three boys, my mom and dad. Uh, we got a crew of about 25 guys. A lot of people think we have a lot more guys than we do, but we're pretty lean and mean. We all wear a lot of hats. So that's the American Payment side of things. And then Raised on Blacktop is something I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, but it's something I started around 2020 officially. And it started off of our social media, just like you. And I got into the merchandise and got into the YouTube game. So we're sort of like a merchandise and marketing company and get a lot of opportunities thrown at us every day, but it's met to the point now where we kind of got to find our direction and stick to it and, and buckle down. Yeah. That can be kind of difficult too sometimes. Yeah. And we can get into that later on too. 
So as far as American pavement specialists, so it's a complete family business. So your other two brothers are in the business as well. And like, do they have kind of the same roles as far as, as what you're doing or like, are they doing other stuff? Is there somebody that's more like I'm taking over or is that one of the family dynamics that's like, whoa, not really. It's like an underlying thing. I don't know if you have any siblings in the business, but to make it simple, I'm pretty much a glorified paving operator. I mean, I'm, I run a paving machine every day, but I do run the job from a paving machine, like a lot of paving crews out there. So me and my brother, Josh, we're closer in age. We pretty much tag team on the paving crew. If there is a third crew running, I'll typically be running that crew. He'll have his own paving crew. Then my brother, Jack, he does our own milling division. So he does all the milling. He does a lot of like the prep work and reclamation. So American Pavement, we're primarily commercial. We do a lot of uh, municipality work. So basically town contracts and things like that. So it's heavy commercial and town contracts. We're not really doing state highway work. Uh, that's pretty unionized in our area. And we're a private company, take pride in that. So yeah, we're basically a commercial municipality. We do primarily milling and paving. As we've got older, our roles have gotten a little narrower, which is good. I think when people talk about family business, family dynamics, I look back at those years from 15 to 20 years old, where we're all full of vinegar, for lack of a better term, you know, all on the job together, all on the same job together. That's when you could get a little friction. You know, we're a bigger company now, a lot of more guys to manage. Her roles have gotten a lot, much more narrower as we grow. I asked that question, not out of, you know, being nosy, but I asked that out of curiosity because I know working within the family dynamic, like it can be difficult. I mean, and I'm going to speak for myself, obviously, but working with my, my father and, you know, my sister, she helps us out as well too, but more so me and my father, you know, like we have days where we're just like at each other's throats, you know, like how's that family dynamic? Do you combat that? Do you run into that? Or is everything just peaches and cream all the time? Peaches and cream all the time, bro. That's what I figured. Now, you know what? I got to give my mom a lot of credit for that. I would take it back to just like growing up as kids, right? In the house, playing sports. Four boys around the house, super competitive, right? Sports, anything. We made a competition out of everything. But I say that to say this, that growing up, I get chills when I say this because it's so important that my mom made sure that we all got along. You know, there was no, you hate your brother. It was none of that. From a young age, it was like, that's your brother. You know, when you get older, they're going to be the only ones you could trust. So she made it a point that we all got along and, you know, we're friends. So take that to family business. Yes, of course, there's times where, you know, you get into little scuffles or little screaming match here and there. It happens to everybody, right? But within a big family, you, you got to know when to just like, you get it out and then it's done with, it's over. Not between just me and my brothers, but me and my dad, my brothers and my dad. There's blow ups, but you got to be able to just, that's it. And it's pretty much game time. You know, I compare a lot of things to sports. It's just like blowing up on a teammate and then still got to finish the game, right? So there's that. I think that that's a really important quality to carry over. And even like you said, like, it's not just, you have those days where you get into it with somebody. It's not just because it's family to family. It's like, it could be, you know, John on, you know, the other crew that you're just button heads with today. And I think that that's what you said is actually what makes a really successful leader as well, too. And business owner and or, or just leader in general is actually just understanding that like, all right, you, you take it and you get over it. Yeah, Taylor, that's a great point because a lot of times, 90% of the blowups on a job, it's maybe you're mad, right? And then your buddy, John, who's just standing there, he ends up taking the rat because he's standing there. You know, if my brother blows up and I get mad, he's not blowing up on me. He's mad. He's stressed out. 
as I've grown older and got a little more experience and mature, I kind of realized that at a younger age, you don't realize that if your dad blows up on the job, he's just stressed out and you're standing in the way of it. <laughs> that's the way it is sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And that, that's the industry as well, too. Yeah. So what made you to, to switch it up? Because this is what I really want to talk to you about today as well, too, is the social media. You have this to be, I mean, in everyone listening, if you haven't gone and seen his stuff, I mean, like your vibe and your energy is very like, especially with Raised on Blacktop, it's super like streetwear. You have an eye for the look and the appeal. You're not just throwing up shirts or throwing up hats. Where did the social media, your cool kind of side, where did you, where did you get that from? The swagger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we could use the word swagger. Yeah. I mean, like. You have swagger and the social media. How did those come to fruition? I'll tell you how we got on social media and you might even connect to this because we're around the same age. So growing up in school, I wear my merch everywhere, right? Even before it was sold online, just like you, you wear your Ken White hoodies, right? All your boys want them. The girlfriends back in the day, they all want a hoodie. So that was always a thing locally in school. We sponsored sports teams. So everybody locally, they knew we were a paving business, right? It, it wasn't like I was the type of kid where it's like, what's your dad do or what's your family do? Everybody knew that I was a paver. So with that being said, the merchandise was always kind of a thing before I knew it. And then we get up until 14, 15 years old where I'm, you know, sports are pretty much done. I'm working full time in the summers now. And we had a website at the time, right? And being 14, 15 years old, my brother's 17, we didn't really know how to go online and update our website, right? It wasn't as easy as, as it is now. So we were like, what can we do locally that we could kind of keep people up to date on our projects? We always were equipment junkies. We're in our trucks. So how can we post our trucks online, share the new equipment we bought, and then share projects that we're doing in the area? And that led us to Facebook. So we built a Facebook business page. And that was solely based on the fact that we could update our community on the jobs that we're working on. And when we started, it wasn't, didn't have the thought process, like we're going to blow it up. You know, it was more so let's just share what we're doing because I think it's cool and maybe somebody else will. So we got on Facebook and then Instagram came along. And I, I want to say we got on Instagram around 2013 or 14. And it's pretty funny because, you know, I do 95% on Instagram now and I wasn't the one that started it. I didn't really believe in it. I didn't know if paving company had a home on Instagram, like who would follow a paving company. But my brother started it and we started posting. I think the trucks, the Peterbilt trucks probably got us like some traction. But it's been a very slow growth. And I think that's why we have good engagement now. We've briefly talked about this before, but, you know, I remember all the milestones from more than the 5,000, the 10,000, the 25, and here we are well, well past 100,000, but we have good engagement because of that slow build. And I think you see a lot of pages out there that might have half a million followers, million followers, but the engagement is like what we're getting. And it's because they've had viral moments. You know, not saying that they're fake followers, just the engagement's not there because it's been a rapid growth. Yeah, as far as social media, you're right, like engagement's everything. And I think you're spot on. There are accounts, you know, that have, you know, lots of followers and they have the viral moments and that's what makes them explode and their engagement's kind of whatever. But I think the biggest takeaway from that too, that I really like and I always say is that everybody's path to being that high number, being an influencer is so different than everyone else's, you know? There's people that will post and blow up. And in two years, they are like, holy, everybody knows this guy. There'll be guys in six months. They'll do that. You know, and I'm the, kind of the same way is like sometimes the trajectory is just a little bit longer with that. 
So you're doing 95% of everything right now on American pavement specialists, but the raised on blacktop, like you had a love for merch and stuff like that. Where did that slogan come from? Where was that born? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't answer your question last time. Raised on blacktop, how it started, where this, the swag comes from. Let me tell you about my swagger. Yeah, right. Five, six years ago, I'll say, uh, I don't know, I could be wrong, but like I said, I was always like spearheading buying the company's shirts just for our guys and stuff. So I was a little bit like into it, dealing with the screen printers and stuff. And then I would like go to the screen printer and say like, I want certain likes, look at the shirt. It's a black logo on a black shirt. Every screen printer is like, you can't print black on black. I'm kind of into this. I like it, but I need a little freedom here. So what I did was I bought a vinyl cutter online. I bought a heat press. And I started making small amounts of our own merchandise in my room upstairs, actually, on my bedroom floor. So that's how I got into it. And it was more so like I can buy a nice Nike hoodie or a Carhartt hoodie, and I can make 12 of them for me and my brothers. So with starting that, I started messing around with some slogans. I started raised by Blacktop, born on Blacktop, came up with raised on Blacktop, came up with the logo. It had a street feel to it. And when you ask about that street feel, I think it comes from where we live. Like we're an hour outside of New York City. I went to a high school with 3,000 kids in our high school. So it's a big school, very diverse. They speak 40 languages at my high school. I have friends from all over the world. That kind of, I don't know what the right word for it, but that influence kind of influenced what I'm doing. And I always look for inspiration outside of our industry because I feel like no shade to the construction industry, but everybody kind of like looks at each other, especially manufacturers and you see stuff and they're all kind of copying each other and it's pretty dry. We know on social media, if you want to make a bang, you kind of have, a, have to have a little sauce, right? Have to have a little flavor. And I like to be a little edgy. I think it, it gets people watching and gets people coming back. So that's where like the street feel of the brand comes from. And it's also raised on blacktop. So it's not just pavers. I want my brand to represent hustle. It could represent basketball, racing, skateboarding, but more so going back to like hustle, family business, getting up early working hard. And, you know, I don't care if you've never been on blacktop in your life, but if you're a hustler, you get up early and you work for a living, Raised on Blacktop is the brand for you. And that's what I try to portray every day. Well, I mean, it, it comes through too. Like, I remember when I saw it for the first time and I was like, like, that looks really cool. And I love the appeal of it. I love the look of it. So you've done a, a really good job with that. As far as like the hustle and stuff like that, one thing I want, because I mean, Outside of social media as well, too. I mean, you're in business as well, too. And obviously, that is a huge interest of yours, too, and much of as mine. How do you guys find it with employing people and like turnover and keeping people? Because you guys seem like you have really good culture. And I know social media plays into that as well, too. So that's why it's kind of a good question. But I wanted to know how you kind of like obtain your culture, keep employees, find employees. We've always had good employer intention, even before, sounds crazy, but before culture was a thing, right? Before I even heard about it online. And I never even gave it a thought, but like my dad has his first employee still, still working for us 30 years later, you know? And we have a lot of guys that have been working for us for 20, 15, 10 years. And growing up, I took that for granted a little bit. That's impressive. Yeah. And it's, it speaks a lot to my parents, the type of bosses they are. Good people. Exactly. At older age. You know, me and my brothers, I'll take a little bit of credit as to like, we're in the trenches with them. So I think employees like that, they like to work beside their boss. Like my dad is a guy who's extremely busy. 
doesn't have to be on the job every minute and isn't, but he'll hop from job to job. But when he pulls up, he doesn't stay outside in his truck. Like he gets in the trenches, breaks his sweat just because he loves it, bro. It's crazy. And it fires the guys up. You know, paving's hard work. So if your boss is out there sweating on a hundred degree day and going through four t-shirts, like that gasses them up, you know, and my dad likes to do that too. But now with social media, I'm sure you get it too. There's a lot of people that want to relocate and come to work for you. We've never done that yet. I'm like nervous to take a chance on somebody and have them relocate just to come work for us. And then, you know, here they are, they're alone where we live. But I would say with the younger generation and even like kids my age, like when they're in between jobs, in between careers, they know who we are. I make it look cool. I mean, I got 15, 16 year olds like beating our door down to come work for us. And like, we're on a lot of high profile jobs, so we really can't hire them till they're 18. But I think in the next 10 to 15 years, like we're kind of known locally for having like the, one of the youngest crews around, especially in paving that's an old industry, dude. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that are laboring and they're 40, 50 years old and paving is a young man's game. So we try our best to hire young. If I have any preference, I like to hire a kid that's like 19, 20 years old and, and ready to start from the bottom and work his way up. Because in paving, that's kind of how you grow in this industry. You got to start from the bottom. It's the way I started. And in our eyes, it's the best way to get someone fully trained in. And it, it could take two to three years before someone's fully trained in. Some are faster. If they're slower, it's probably not for them. But yeah, we like to hire young. We hire almost always people with no experience because they come with no bad habits. That's really important. I like that too. Like they don't come with any bad habits. That's what like we have a 18 year old that runs our uh, 25 ton excavator and everyone's always like, that's crazy. Like he's so young running that excavator and he never ran an excavator before he got in it. Like he had maybe five or six hours in it. And it was just like, gave him a chance. Cause I, he was a really, he's a really good kid, just loyal and like mature for his age and just a really good kid, man. Sorry. He's 18, but you're right on that. He didn't come with any bad habits to start with. So that was kind of really important. I really enjoy watching your dad online. Like you said, you touched on it. Like he's out there in the trenches and he's, he's doing a lot of work and stuff. And like, I just feel like your dad is, I don't know where you kind of grew up, but like, I feel like he definitely relates to a lot of the people around here. Like we're in something called the Ottawa Valley, which is kind of like on the outskirts of a one that's like, I feel like he would relate really well with blue collar people, you know, is he in the office a lot of the time? Do you have a heavy office staff or kind of what's his role in the business as well too then? So my dad, he does a lot of like the estimating still, like he still puts the final numbers on things. Like we estimate things, but when it comes to the final number on a big job, he's definitely throwing that on there. Our office staff is light and it's something that we need to improve on. Not that we're struggling in the office, but as the company grows, like we need a, a real staff in the office, not taking anything away from my mother. She usually has a girl in the office too, and, and they do an amazing job. But my dad, primarily, he's on the job sites. He's a special man, bro. He's 58 years old and he says he has 50 years experience. And like, he says that with a straight face. So he's that type of dude. Like he's been working from a young age, you know, went to high school a couple of years, didn't graduate high school. And it's just a man that goes out and sets an example every day, doesn't stop learning. He's always reading magazines. Now he's online. So I think the success we've had on the YouTube, and I will try my best to explain this. You know, just as well as me, YouTube, Instagram, we're rolling this out in like a millennial way, I guess you would say, right? As far as like the videos. But when you bring my dad in and he, he's talking on a video and he's giving them that old school vibe and 
like that blue collar American, just badass. You mix that with the way that I'm presenting it. And I think that's why people relate to it because he's a relatable guy, blue collar, regular dude wearing a white t-shirt, but then you put together like this cool production around him and it just, it seems to be working out well. Yeah. That relates a hundred percent. That's what I was trying to say, but you said it better. The way that you are curating your videos and stuff is really interesting. You're not trying to be the protagonist in this, right? You're not trying to be the main character, right? No, not really, dude. Is that something you think of in the back of your head? Cause like, I mean, the way you're just talking is like, that's how I think too, right? Like, how do I look? What am I dressed? What am I presenting? Can I relate? Like your background thinking of everything you're making, you're not just like people think you just like pulling up the camera and here we are filming. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. So have you thought about that? Obviously. Taylor, I would say that might not answer your question directly, but I'll get back to it. Like raised on blacktop. I am the protagonist now, but I don't want to be, I want the brand to be bigger than me. But as far as the YouTube goes, like on a paving job, we got one shot to get the video. Most of our stuff is one take, just like yours. It's raw. But yeah, I mean, if my dad's not around, then sure, I'm the face on the camera. If he is in a perfect world, Taylor, if I'm on a job, I can be on the machine. I can kind of tell my videographer, Shane, what to get, what shot to get, what order I want. I kind of have the video done in my mind, but then I'm like, dad, take Shane over here, explain this. Take him over there and explain that. Or I know people don't want to watch me online the whole time. So yeah, if in, in a perfect world, It'd be great that, you know, my dad was talking on every video, but you know, he's an old school dude too. So like he likes the YouTube, but he doesn't want a camera in his face all day. And I know that. So we try to like mix it up and keep things different. Yeah. My father's the same. He doesn't go on camera that much. Obviously I'm the main character, you know, I play that, but yeah, I struggle with that too, almost. And it's like, I know that when he's on video on, on camera talking, People will be way more engaged with the video rather than if it's just 14 minutes of me just on there doing whatever. So I find a balance of like showing some of the guys, but then showing me, but then trying to make the content based around like, okay, how do I make it so that when I am on camera, people are interested and engaged with that. So it is really difficult. Yeah. My dad, he does not like being on camera at all. Like your dad does a very good job at it. Very good. My dad sees a camera and he'll shut his office door and walk the other way. Like he doesn't want to be a part of it. He likes it, but he just doesn't kind of want to be a part of it. But as far as direction of content and stuff like that, like, are you going to keep doing American pavement specialists, YouTube, and then raised on blacktop as its own thing? What's kind of the direction for both those brands? Or like you said, like, I want to get into what you were saying, I guess, at the beginning of like, Hey, like trying to figure out direction, you know? Yeah. So in the beginning. I think it was a little easier because it was like American Payment is a brand in itself now online. And we all know what Raised on Blacktop is. So like when it first started, it was more like just treading water, figuring it out as we go, as the brand has grown. Uh, as far as Raised on Blacktop goes, like I'm still not full-time Raised on Blacktop. I'm still on a paving machine 10, 12 hours a day. I've told you this before. I go back to the shop. I'm doing orders all night. I have hired a company now that's going to start doing my orders. But raised on blacktop, I definitely need to get a team around me to make things a lot easier because last summer was like super stressful for me, affected relationships I had. I wouldn't say health, but like I was super stressed out. So that's not good, right? And I think it reflects, I wouldn't say in the brand, but you kind of end up rushing some things, rushing projects that aren't supposed to be rushed as far as like social media goes. But yeah. We're going to keep going with the American Payment YouTube channel. I would like to have another Raised on Blacktop YouTube channel, but to do that, I think I need a team. I need a videographer full-time. And 
my videographer, I'm definitely like his number one customer, but he's a freelance videographer for a couple other people. So still haven't made that huge jump into like going full-time with the content, but I think that needs to happen organically and I could see it happen in the next couple of years. So with both the brands, same as you, I'm here to stay, bro. So as impatient as I am, I, I, I need to remind myself that as long as you keep the brand around, we're both killing on, on social media and that's like the hardest part for a lot of brands. So keep that going and then let the logistics kind of like not fall into place, but let it happen organically and figure it out as you go. Do you think that somebody listening right now that's trying to get their brand? Cause like what you're saying is, you know, consistency is key. I always say that as well too. Cause side note story last night, I was, when I first started YouTube, I had this company, this guy won't mention his name, won't mention the company. And I remember he emailed me saying, you know, make videos and put them on my channel because your channel is going to go nowhere. Like talk me down and did all this super negative stuff. And then I'd post videos and then he'd send me nasty emails about you shouldn't be doing this in your videos and not in your videos and like reach would reach out to me personally. And it was crazy. And I remember I just blocked the guy and, you know, he started gaining a lot of more success and a lot of views. And it's been probably two years. Last night I was laying in bed and I was like, oh, you know what? I want to check on this guy. Like, and I'm very much, I stay in my own lane. Like I actually on social media don't follow a lot of construction people. I follow construction people, but to be honest with you, I have a lot of people muted because I don't like outside noise. And I feel like that should be super okay to say. I just, I don't like seeing what other people are doing so that I remain focused on my content is what's coming from my brain and not somebody else's. But like you said, I get it from like, I'll watch like a Nelk or a Danny Duncan or somebody and be like, okay, I'm going to do that putting with construction. Anyways, point of the story is that guy a year ago stopped doing social media and is completely dead in the water, gone, done, run out, no social media, nothing. And I was like, boom, that stays true to what you just said and what I'm saying, which is consistency is key. So for somebody that's starting a brand, I know that you would say consistency what helps as far as like they're listening and we're, we're talking about how, you know, we're successful on social media and whatnot. How, like, what could they do to help with that? That's a great question. And I hope I have a good answer for this, but I see it with a lot of companies, even not even construction, like locally. I mean, we've inspired a lot of landscapers, restaurants, you name it. Everybody's like, wants to do videos. Now they're all hitting me up, wanting to use my videographer. But my big thing for someone that's starting out, you know, maybe you do have an established business, but you want to get on social media, you want to build a brand, start building it around what you're good at. Don't go try and extend yourself and hire a videographer and make some three minute Instagram clip. That's a beautiful montage, but you're like trying to play. I'm not going to call it our game, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like we're doing that because we have a good creative team around us. We know what we're doing. I get a lot of people hit me up and like, just use your cell phone. If you're a funny guy, make videos, make people laugh. If you're not a funny guy, post a picture and write a nice little thing about it. You know, that gets people following you too. Focus on what you're good at. I actually like that a lot of construction guys and girls in the industry that like, maybe you don't have a whole business page, but you have your page that you post your work, but you also sell your family a little bit. Like I like pages like that, where it's not just project after project. It's like, I do want to see you your son's baseball practice on a Saturday and you sponsored the team. I think that's cool content, right? Because it's all relatable. We're all the same in construction. We wear the same clothes. You know, we drive the same trucks and stuff. So 
I think it's all relatable and just focus on what you're good at, who you have around you. You know, and then after a while, you could build a team and get that photographer or videographer or whatnot, then get into the YouTube space. But I see a lot of companies that like hire a videographer and you know, just as well as me, if they don't know what they're looking at and they shoot a video for a landscaper or a masonry guy, I could tell. It's like, ah, you know, that wasn't it. You're better off just posting a 30 second IG clip. Yeah. Content is so important. Like whatever your the style of stuff that you're making and you're right. Like I went three years doing it all myself and using a GoPro and my iPhone. And it was a lot of work, but like what you just said is like, I didn't start off by, okay, videographer. You used your resources. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, there it is. Resources. What you're saying was I found kind of my direction. I found my, okay, what am I doing online? Because when I first started social media, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I just knew, okay, I'm going to start posting. And then I kind of found it. So then when the videographer came, it was like, okay, so I show Ken White Constructions day to day, and this is what we're going to do. You know what I mean? Like you said, like, I'm just reiterating what you're saying, because it's so important is know your direction as far as kind of where you're going. Don't just try to throw resources at it and, you know, hire a videographer that does, if uh, the Royal Bank of Canada is trying to find a financial advisor for their front desk, don't get that person that's making that video to make you a blue collar, bad to the bone video to try and hire people to sit on top of a paver when it's 120 degrees outside all day and you're breathing in asphalt fumes. You're better off getting a GoPro and just holding it and figuring out how to clip it and throw it on YouTube. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that that's really important for people on social media and being authentic, right? Like, I mean, I think that's kind of what I was saying about your dad is like, he's just super authentic. I don't know your dad, but he doesn't give a crap about what people think of him online or anything like that. And I think that that's a good way to do it too, is don't worry about what people are doing. I think that's the biggest compliment I've ever gotten, not through social media, but in person when someone that's been following you for a long time or a contractor that's been following you for a long time. And then we end up doing some paving for them. And two days after being on the job, they're like, you guys are exactly what you portray online. It's a good for our company. And it's also like, I'm doing my job here as far as online goes. You know, that's like the best compliment we can get. Yeah. I try to do that with employees. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I lack on that, on that side of it. I think you do a great job. No, I appreciate that. My favorite YouTube channel. Oh, geez. My head's going to explode. Yeah, I think that those are all really important and, and good notes for people that are trying to do social media. Now, let's say for the different demographic that are listening to this is somebody that maybe has some traction. Okay. So how does somebody that has traction, because this is being released after a panel conversation, so we might have already talked about this at all, or I'm not giving away secrets. I have traction on social media. How can I make a little bit of money? Or how can I start working with brands? How do I reach out to people? How do I become those people who are promoting SeatGeek? How do I get Komatsu to reach out to me or this brand or that brand? You know what I mean? How? Cut and dry answers authentically, organically. I wish I knew about LinkedIn five years ago. I probably could have sped this process up a little while. That's a little hint there. Get on LinkedIn, pay for the premium account. You can pull up Komatsu and find everybody in their marketing department and start shooting them messages. But to get in the influencer brand deals games, you do kind of have to give out free work to begin with, right? You got to start promoting that brand before they're paying you. But you do got to be a little careful because no shade to any brands that I've worked with or that I plan to work with in the future, but they will take advantage of you if they can. If they're getting free content, they're not going to just turn around one day and be like, all right, now we'll start paying you. So you kind of have to be careful there. 
What was the second end of that question? Oh, geez. I have ADHD. I don't even know what I asked you. Oh, to, to get in those brand deals. Exactly. Yeah. It was more, yeah. I just like, you already have a following. Like, I guess what I'm asking is like, are you cold calling somebody on an email or, or calling them? How does it work? The obvious answer, I can't believe I didn't say it. You go to Con Expo, bro. Really? And I'm not just saying that, but like you go to a booth, right? You shake hands. Yes. That's how I got into the picture. And I was going to at least National Pavement Expo, the world of asphalt. Those are like little niche shows that we have in the asphalt industry. A lot of times these companies, they do see what you're doing. Even if they don't engage with you, they see you. But that's like on a corporate level, it's on a marketing level. So when you go to your local dealership or your regional rep, he might not know, they might not make that connection and you have to make that connection for them. So going to these shows, dude, you have the engineers in the room. You probably get, depending on the size of the company, like Leeboy, like the CEO is going to be in the booth for most of the time, right? The engineering department's going to be there. The marketing department's going to be there. All the regional reps will be there. And then if you're lucky, some of your salesmen will be there. But, you know, it's about going there, having your brand on and shaking their hand with clear eyes and just making a good presentation to yourself. That's how I started. It was more shook their hands, invited them to check our social media. And when I got back in 2019, I had an email waiting for me that let's start sharing some videos online. And then an also angle to it, right? Is that if maybe you're not going to the shows, you need to find a brand that you could work with on a low level. Because once you work with one brand, the next brand that's maybe got an eye on you, you know, it shows that, hey, Taylor does know how to work with brands. I started with, I don't know the first brand I was working with, but Lee Boy was like the first brand that, like I had a real brand deal. It was a huge deal for me. And now I'm a John Deere brand ambassador, right? And I'm sure it had something to do with Lee Boy. They saw that what we were doing with Lee Boy, they saw that we know how to play nice because as you know, there's a lot of people that could post good content, but to post good content and get paid for it is like very hard to do. So you got to show them that you can do it. Yeah, and you mentioned... I did different platforms. So I actually recently, and I'll always admit when I'm wrong, I think that it was on this podcast actually that I did with both Luke's, Luke Eggerbrong and Luke Payne. I was saying how like LinkedIn is so dumb. LinkedIn's stupid. Don't ever use LinkedIn. And they're like, no, man, it's so important. So then flashback to two weeks ago, I'm like, I'm going to post on LinkedIn because I got some really nice photos. I'm going to start posting some photos. Three days later, I get an email from the CEO of a big company here. And he's like, hey, I saw your mulcher on the skid steer. Like, can, I got 50 acres of bush. And it ended up turning into this job for us. And I was like, I slept on LinkedIn. And I admit I'm, I was completely wrong. I was just using it wrong. And like you said, you can dial in and go, I'm going to find this person, this person, this person who's in charge of estimating at this GC that I want to work with. So what platforms... LinkedIn included, do you think are important to be posting on? Depending if you know how to use them, I think Instagram right now is probably the hottest for construction. I would say Instagram, LinkedIn. I wouldn't sleep on Facebook either. I think there's a lot of people on Facebook still. I sleep on Facebook all the time. But I would say like, if you're going to in the social media game, you kind of got to know why you're on there, right? I didn't get on there to get more work. We were already established business. We have plenty of work. The work we get online is kind of like, scraping the cherry off the top, just the good stuff. But it did grow our contact list huge, dude. Like for a, a contractor, so we worked for a lot of excavators. We worked for a lot of site guys. You know, they're 10, 20 miles or, you know, 30 miles away. We typically maybe wouldn't go that far. We do, but some companies won't. They see us working in New York. They're like, I didn't know you guys come this far. And boom, 
because they're watching this on social media. But getting back to LinkedIn, it's amazing because, you know, if you get connected with someone, it's almost like Facebook, right? Once you're connected, you're connected. It's not like I just follow you and you don't follow me. You know what I'm saying here? So if you can get connected with, for example, I'll just use myself. Like I'm connected with, he just stepped down, but he was the CEO of working, right? So I'm connected with him. And now all of his friends, if he likes my post, it goes straight to their page. The whole working company is going to see it. Same thing with John Deere. I have a little bit of a following on LinkedIn, but I posted something the other day and like the first two people was like the VP of John Deere and the CEO of working and it reached five people. That'll take you years to do on Instagram. And it's just because I was connected with some people that they're friends with. And to get in the nitty gritty, I think there's not enough content in LinkedIn to sell the pipes. So like your post does get pushed out a lot more, kind of like what's going on in TikTok right now. Yeah. What about TikTok? I'm on there because I don't want to fall behind, but I'd rather not be, bro. I really don't like it. I don't like what I hear about it. We just banned it in Canada. Any federal government employees have to take them off their cell phones. That came out yesterday. Wow. Yeah, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, I don't understand. I mean, our phones are made in China. You have all these other apps that are listening and watching what you're doing. But I'm with you on that. Like, I have a good following. I got over 100,000 on TikTok. But... I don't know if I'm a big fan of TikTok because I just think it's, I think it's dumb, to be honest with you. I do too. And I don't want to sound old saying that. And maybe we do. I know. I feel like I'm, I'm a dad, right? So I'm like, God, am I like, it's that old 27 year old now. It's like, that's dumb, you know? But I genuinely believe, I mean, like a hundred thousand on TikTok is like a thousand on Instagram, you know? Like the numbers are just, I don't know. They don't convert well. So you are, you are doing like reels and stuff on TikTok? I pretty much just repurpose stuff from Instagram to TikTok. I think we have about maybe 35,000 on APS. And then I've got like 3,500 on Raising on Blacktop. But yeah, I probably should be pushing a little more with my brand. It could be easier to um, get sales off of as far as merchandise. But I just don't feel good about the platform itself. And I hate the way it's set up. with some dumb seven second video and it's on to the next kind of beauty of YouTube, I would say, um, is that your videos continuously get views. When people sit down and watch them, they watch them. And when they click a video, they're going to be entertained or they're going to learn something. That's what I try to portray. That's what I get out of your videos. Like I'm, I know when I click a video, I'm going to get a good laugh. You know, I'm going to learn something, see something I've never seen before. Yeah. I think that it's important with longer form content as well, too. I think long form content is definitely here to stay, especially on channels like YouTube as well, too. I know YouTube's doing shorts and stuff now, but I think long form content is like where it's at. And I think it's also just cool, like showing the business and like being able to look back on that in 20 years from now and seeing that like online, like even like someday if the website's still around, like my grandkids, you know, like they'll be able to go back in the archives and see grandpa swearing around, running around the yard, top swell season. I think that's cool. Yeah. See uh, grandpa Taylor on a beach chair in his garage. Yeah. Yeah. On a beach volleyball garage. Yeah. hundred percent. So I wanted to touch at the end here on Con Expo in the past. What is it about? I mean, you already mentioned the people and talking to people and I think that that's very important, but what is it about trade shows that you really enjoy and, or like Con Expo specifically? One, I like Las Vegas for a few days is cool. Not typically with Con Expo. It's like not typically a place I would go for vacation, but Con Expo is like a great excuse to go to Vegas for three, four days. More of a Miami guy, eh? 
I am more of a Miami guy. Not maybe not anymore, but but yeah, Vegas is cool. A lot to do. It sounds pretty cut and dry, but like the network I enjoy the most. Getting to meet these manufacturers in person, and then if you're on social media, it's a great chance to meet people and like actually like we're gonna meet for the or we've already met for the first time when this comes out. Yeah, I know it's it's hard. To, yeah, we've already met, but now we're best friends forever. But it's big with social media if you're actively on there then you go to these trade shows and it's like that could be the knockout punch for you it's like meeting that person that was following you like oh i follow you and then that could turn into something one day and then of course seeing the new equipment is awesome we're gonna have a few machines on display this year which is like amazing because i remember really yeah so we're our lee boy raised on blacktop special edition will be there oh that's sick dude congrats thank you and then we bought a malden uh mortar grader it's like a, a maintainer. That's going to be, I guess I can't say it now. It's painted red. It'll have our logo on it at the show. So that'll be there. And then um, we're doing another special edition with, uh, it's called the Begalia Asphalt Recycler. I don't know if you've seen that we recycle asphalt in the off season. I have seen that. I've seen your stories. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little machine that we save all of our leftover asphalt all year, put it in a pile, break it up into little pieces. We load it in this machine that you don't need any permits for it. So it's clean air. And it melted down into hot patch. So in our area, it's pretty big because asphalt plants close, just like Canada, can't get it. So we're able to make recycled hot patch and it keeps us somewhat busy all, all winter. So we're making a little special addition to that. I think that's it, three machines, but pretty cool. Crazy to think that like, you know, three years ago, I remember going in 2020, I was like dying to be on the influencer panel, dying to have a, a machine there or something. And like, here we are 2023 and we have all that going on. So pretty crazy. Got to definitely live in the moment there and appreciate all the hard work because I'm not too good at that. Yeah. I look at big moments and go, oh my God, I can't wait. And then they happen. And then I'm just always on to the next thing. And I think it's important to stop and smell the roses. For sure. Absolutely. Matt, I uh, appreciate you coming on here today, man. Yeah. I guess we've already seen each other at the show, but for the sake of the show right now, thank you to our uh, podcast sponsor, Komatsu, for this episode. Matt, thanks for coming on, man. And I'm excited to see you at Con Expo. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Two-time guest. I feel honored. Woo. Here we go, baby. Thanks, Matt. Can you believe it? Con Expo Con Ag is almost here. That's right. The largest construction family reunion in North America is going to be here before we know it. See and test the new equipment, ask the technical experts, find out what your business will be using tomorrow. Make the connections that matter. If you haven't registered yet, there's still time to secure tickets. Visit conexpoconag.com and use the promo code PODCAST20 to get 20% off. That's right, 20% off with the promo code PODCAST20. If you already have your tickets to the show, join us in the countdown and comment below to let us know that you are going and we'll be there and we are excited to see you.